How many of you have ever said, I will never? I will never jump out of an airplane. I will never whitewater raft. I will never eat that. Uh, I've, I've said I will never several times. Uh, I, I remember in uh, high school and going into college, I said I would never go to college out of state. Uh, I said I would never uh, meet somebody and get married in college. Uh, I would definitely never marry anybody outside the state of Michigan. I, I guess I thought that only the, the best girls were in Michigan. I have no idea. Thank God he didn't answer that. But anyway, um, and, then, uh, and then I also said, I said I would never be a pastor. I mean, that was the furthest thing on my radar. Uh, no desire whatsoever to be a pastor. Um, and uh, I would have definitely told you no way, no how. I'm never going to do that. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that God takes some of our I-nevers and transforms them into reality. Um, because for me, I went out of school, uh, I went out of state to school at, at Cedarville University, met Daisha there, uh, who's from Virginia, by the way, um, and uh, Southern, Southern Bells. Uh, anyway, and, uh, and so met her. We got married during our uh, college. Uh, we were between our junior and senior year and got married. And uh, had a blast in college being married. That was awesome. Um, not saying any y'all, like some of y'all parents are like, please, would you just shut up? Hey, all I'm going to say is my senior year was paid for because we were married. Um, but anyway, um, so uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of getting married and, uh, and getting married in college. was cool. Uh, and, and, then, and then to top that all off, uh, God called me into, called us into being uh, in church. And, uh, and we've been here uh, going on 27 years now, and uh, and so I, I'm, I praise God that He takes the nevers and transforms them into into reality. Um, you know, I, when I think about that, and especially in light of keeping uh, score, and we talked about last week about about the the fact of keeping score in relationship to forgiving others. I wonder if that never for you is I will never forgive blank. I'll never forgive that. I'll never forgive that person. I'll never forgive what they did to me. I'll never forgive. I'll never forgive them. And, and then on top of that, what, what if the I will never is you? Like you personally. Like I will never forgive myself for. You fill in the blank. Whatever, whatever it is. Whatever, whatever it is that, that's popping to the top of your mind. Maybe you've thought that. I, I know I have. I know that I've, I've struggled with that, wrestled through that. I will never forgive myself for whatever it is. Can I just tell you, that's keeping score. That, that is keeping score. When you're not willing to forgive someone, when you're not willing to forgive yourself for something done in your past, that's keeping score. And as we said last week, you lose when you keep score. You lose when you keep score. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 makes it clear, love keeps no record of wrong. And guess what? The Bible says Jesus, when he's, told, when he's asked, what are the greatest commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. Now, that's not a narcissistic, oh, I'm so in love with me. I'm just amazing. I'm incredible. That's not what we're talking about. 
That is not what I'm talking about at all. But do you love who you are in Christ? Do you, do you love, in a sense, who Christ says you are? Who God says you are? He, he didn't mess up when he made you. When he was molding and shaping you in your mother's womb, he did not mess up. It's not like when you popped out, he went, oh my word, man, I screwed that one up. No, God did not do that. So there is a sense in which we find ourselves, even love keeping no record of wrong, even in relationship to yourself. And if you're keeping score in your life, understand, that's not what Jesus is doing. Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4, we talked about this last week. If the Lord kept a record of sin, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. See, again, I say this, you lose when you keep score. Would you turn somebody on your left or right or behind you or in front of you and tell them, you lose when you keep score. And if you're not sitting next to somebody, go, go get in somebody's grill and tell them. You lose when you keep score. Tell them it. Yell it at them. I don't, whatever, you got to get it into their head. You lose when you keep score. Now, you need to internalize this too because it's not just about them, it's also about you. I lose when I keep score. So say that. I lose when I keep score. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because believing it and then doing something about it are two different things. And so I want to encourage you to stop keeping score. So how do I do that? Number one, we talked about this last week, you need to be willing to forgive. Specifically, forgiving others. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is not an option. This is not a great idea. This is not a suggestion. It is an imperative. It is a command that God is giving to us through the, the apostle, through the writer Paul, who is telling us you must forgive. And how does Jesus forgive us? Well, we looked at that. He number one, he chooses not to not to keep score. Jesus chooses not to keep score. It's not that he's ignoring our sin. It's not that he's overlooking our sin. He chooses not to hold that sin against us. He chooses not to keep score. Number two, he said it's, he, he doesn't treat us according to what we deserve. I, I don't know about you. I hear a few of you say, man, aren't you glad God does not treat you according to what you deserve? Because what you deserve is eternal separation from God. You do not deserve grace. You do not deserve mercy. You do not deserve him meeting all of your needs according to his glorious riches. You don't deserve his promises whatsoever. I do not either. None of us do. But thank God that it's not based on whether I deserve it or not. It's based on what Christ has done for me, on my behalf, on your behalf. And Jesus offers to us forgiveness of our sin. Again, it's not saying that what we have done is okay. Sin is not okay. God hates sin. He doesn't want you to disobey him. He, he doesn't, I mean, Paul wrote, what, should I go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. In other words, no way. Like, that's crazy. 
So God doesn't want you to sin. God is, God's will is not, oh, please sin. Have fun in it. Um, that's no. Uh-uh. It's not okay. That's, and he's not ever saying that it's okay. But he doesn't treat us according to what we deserve. Number three, he's not going to bring it back up to harm us. That's the idea of forgetting. Not somehow that, that you'll ever forget what has happened to you. Not that, I mean, Jesus, even Jesus is not going to forget what happened to him in getting nailed to a cross and all that led up to that. He's got the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, and he's got the, the ribbon side from the sword or whatever that was thrusted into his side. He's not going to forget that. But what does he do? He chooses not to bring it up to harm you. You know who chooses to bring it up to harm you? Satan. Satan does that. He's the one that brings shame. He's the one that brings guilt. He's the one that brings anger and resentment and bitterness and a, and a desire to get vengeance. That's all Satan. That's not God. And so, like Jesus, and even in his interaction with Peter, how often should I forgive? Peter said, how about seven times? Jesus said, how about 70 times seven? But his point wasn't that when you get to 400 and whatever, oh, man, the next few, this person's going down. No, that's not the point. It's hyperbole. He's saying it because the idea is that we need to forgive as often as needed. Man, that may be multiple times a day. So that's how Jesus forgives. So are you holding on to unforgiveness towards someone? Can I encourage you to choose to forgive? Choose to forgive because you lose when you keep score. So what if that someone is yourself? What if that someone is yourself and you're struggling in forgiving yourself? You keep beating yourself up. You're your own worst enemy. Anyone ever told you that? I've heard it many times because it's true. I beat myself up over something or I, I let shame or I let guilt be the thing that dictates me into doing something or whatever. And, 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 and I'm not willing to, to let go of it. I'm not willing to, like Jesus has forgiven me, be willing to say, okay, I'm not going to hold this against myself to harm myself. What if it's you? So in thinking about that, would you turn to Luke chapter 22? Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, we find a, really it's, it's I don't want to say a story, it's, it is something that had happened between Peter and Jesus. Peter, one of the disciples, one of the will-be apostles, he has is following Jesus, giving up much to follow after Jesus. Peter's a very passionate guy, very uh, kind of just spur-of-the-moment kind of guy, and the kind of guy, too, that would open up his mouth a lot and insert his foot. He'd say some stuff and do some things that were pretty off. And Jesus said to him, one of these days you're going to deny me. Peter, no way, Jesus, that's not happening. 
That's not happening. So Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then they, who's they? That's the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and that is the, the Roman, gov- uh, Roman centurions that are there. They seized him. Who's him? That's Jesus. This is right at the garden. They seized him. They led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And look who's following. Peter is following at a distance. Verse 55, remember this. Store this back in the back side of your brain for a little bit. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, she's talking about Peter, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61. Can can you just... The Lord turned and looked, locked eyes with Peter. Peter remembered The saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Verse 62, Peter's reaction. He went out and wept bitterly. Put yourself in that story. You're Peter. You say you're a follower of Jesus. You say that you're one who will go to the ends for Jesus. You're following after him as he's being put on trial. You're sitting around a fire with a bunch of other people. And then accusations start to fly. And you, instead of saying, yes, I'm with Jesus, adamantly deny it. I don't know the guy. And and in in the original language... The progression of what he is saying and actually the, the depth of what he's saying becomes greater and greater and more and more intense as each accusation comes out. Peter gets more and more angry, more and more frustrated. One commentator even said that the language is, is that he actually cusses the last guy out. Like, I do not know this man. Blankety, blankety, blankety. He actually gets to the point where he's so agitated about this that he adamantly denies Jesus. And can you imagine in that moment, you're that one, and then Jesus locks eyes with you. Didn't say a word. And immediately Peter remembered what Jesus said. Would you not act as Peter? went out and wept bitterly. He knew in that moment he failed 
Jesus. He knew in that moment that he had sinned against God. He knew in that moment that he had completely blown it. And he ran from the situation and he wept bitterly. And it wasn't long after this that Jesus begins to go through all that he went through leading up to the cross. And then he gets nailed to a cross and he dies. Imagine you're Peter and you're thinking, I was there. I could have stood up for Jesus. I could have done something and I didn't. Instead, I denied him. And I imagine Peter is replaying this over and over in his mind. Why can I imagine that? Because I've done the same thing. I've had times where I've said things and I'm like, why did I say that? Why did I not stand up for God? Why did I not? Why did I not tell someone the truth? Why did I do that? There's been times where, where I've gone out of a situation and just wept bitterly because I knew I had blown it. And that's sin against God. Can you imagine? So Jesus dies. Jesus dies and he's buried in a tomb. And, and then he comes back to life. Praise God. He he shows himself to, to, to his guys and to all those that were following after him. But again, there's not a lot of conversation between Jesus and Peter. I can only imagine every time that Peter sees Jesus, he's like, I blew it with you. I didn't stand up for you. And he's beating himself up over and over and over again. I, I know the scripture doesn't say that, but I can only think in the humanity of my own life and the reality of Peter's life that, that much the same, we beat each other up. We beat ourselves up over stuff that we've done that we wish we had never done. And we won't let it go. And it keeps replaying in our minds and we just oftentimes let that thing dictate our lives. And so Jesus tells his disciples, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee and wait for me and I will meet you there. So in John chapter 21, if you would turn to John chapter 21. Time has passed. Jesus has died. He's risen again. The guys are there. In John chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And here's the account of how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, by the way, and two others of the disciples were together, not named. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. What was, what was Simon Peter before he met Jesus? A fisherman. He's going back to the thing that he knew before Jesus. My imagining is, is that that was his intent, to go back to what he knew before. And so they went back, and they, he's like, I'm going fishing, guys. And they said to him, Verse 3, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Does that not sound familiar? 
Yeah. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is an account of them out on the lake, and they hadn't caught anything all night. Jesus was on the shore. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. This should sound really familiar. Verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Like Jesus is setting up Peter and the disciples with the same scenery, the same setting from where he called them. From where he said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And it's like Jesus is resetting the scene to remind them of the mission that he had called them to. Then notice what it says, verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John who's writing this, by the way. He's not arrogant, by the way, in saying that. I'm just said to Peter, it's the Lord. I love Peter's reaction. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. In other words, he jumped out of the boat to swim to Jesus. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. It's a nice little swim. Verse 9, when they got out on the land, they saw, remember what he said in verse 55? Remember the scenery? There's a fire, and there's people sitting around it. The same scene. Jesus is, is, I believe, purposely recreating that scene. There's a fire. There's people around it. Have you ever had one of those things where environmentally, like something around you reminds you of something from your past? Like I, I know like every single time I smell wood burning, whether it's out, you know, campfire or whether it's wherever, I'm immediately brought to memory of Honduras, because everywhere in Honduras, they burn wood in order to survive, and, and so it immediately takes me back there. It immediately brings up decisions that were made, ways that God impacted my life in Honduras, and it immediately brings that up, and I believe the same is happening with Peter and with the disciples, specifically Peter, and so they get there, and there's charcoal place, fish is on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So I love what Simon does. Simon Peter went out to the boats and by himself hauled the net ashore full of large fish. And he even gives a number, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and so was and so with the fish. Boy, does that not bring back a memory? Remember, they're up taking communion, breaking a bread, all that sort. I'm telling you, everything in here is intentional. I believe by God to remind His disciples, remind Peter what He had called him out of and what He had called him to. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, the fish was well. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? Can you imagine the emotions that he's feeling and all of the stuff that's going on, the memories that are flooding back into his mind of what happened, of what has gone on, decisions that he's made, stuff that's gone on in his life, his interaction with Jesus, his relationship with Jesus, all this stuff. I can only imagine is going through his mind. And at the same time with it is shame, guilt. I imagine he's hearing over and over those accusations. But something amazing happens here. Something incredible. Something divine. Something supernatural. Something God does. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, notice how many times he says it, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's building the intensity of what Peter is saying back to Jesus is building. Sound familiar? He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You think, you think it's any coincidence that Jesus three times asked Peter, do you love me? Because here's what is, is so incredible and so amazing to me is, instead of coming at Peter with accusation, instead of coming at Peter with condemnation, instead of coming at Peter with, with all kinds of, 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 of negative whatever, he says to him with grace and with mercy and with love, looking at him in the eye, do you love me? Peter, do you, do you remember when I called you? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, do, do you remember when you were the one, the one guy who proclaimed that I am the Christ, the son of the living God? Peter, do you, do you remember when I said to you, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Not your church, my church. I'm going to build my church on you, on, on what you're going to do through my strength. Do you remember that? And in that moment, in that moment, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's extending forgiveness. Even though he's not saying, I forgive you. Even though Peter's not saying, I'm sorry. He's extending 
forgiveness to Peter. He's extending grace and mercy to Peter. He's extending restoration. Peter, this is what you're going to do. And I love that because in that moment, he's extending that forgiveness toward Peter. He's offering to him that forgiveness. He's offering to him that restoration. And he longs for him to know and understand, listen, Peter, I called you to something greater. And it's greater than you. And I called you to myself. And I want you to go. And I want you to feed and tend. And I want you to be the one that I build the church on. Do you accept it? I mean, in reality, that's really what he's saying to Peter is, are you willing to do what I've already called you to do? See, when you think about forgiving yourself, here's what you need to understand. It has less to do with you forgiving yourself and it has much to do with you accepting the forgiveness that Jesus already offers you. You keep beating yourself up because you're not willing to say, I accept the forgiveness of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sin, past, present, future. He died for all of your sin. He died for it and he paid the penalty for it. Why? Because you can't. And when you don't forgive yourself, what you're saying is, it's not enough. I've got to do something to make it right. I've got to, no. Jesus made it right. Are you willing to accept the forgiveness that Jesus extends to you? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you willing to accept Jesus' forgiveness? Because he's extending it to you. This isn't the end of the story, by the way. Turn over, if you would, real quick to Acts. Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read it all for you. But Acts chapter 2, you can go back and you can read it. But in verse 14, Peter gets up before a massive crowd of people and begins to speak. And he shares with them the good news of Jesus. He shares with them the, the best news of all, the news of Jesus and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And verse, verse 41 tells us something. It says this, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day, check this out, 3,000 souls. Peter the guy who has serious open mouth, insert foot disease, has serious, you know, like crazy, passionate stuff, whatever, all the time, who denied Jesus, gets up, shares Christ, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus in that moment. How awesome is that? Here, here's what I think Peter would have lost. If he had kept score against himself and was not willing to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I believe we would not be reading it as Peter 
was standing before that crowd. It would have been somebody else. Because that is exactly what we end up losing when we're not willing to accept the forgiveness of Jesus in our life. Satan uses it to keep us out of the game. And I'm telling you, my friend, you will miss out on everything that God wants to do in and through your life if you are not willing to accept the forgiveness that Jesus has already offered and is offering to you. So, that's the question. Are you willing to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life? Listen, there is not a sin that you have done in your past that Jesus does not know about. Not a single one. And he is not bringing it up to harm you. He is not bringing it up to somehow hold it against you. He paid for that sin, whatever it is. And when you, when you did it, listen, he, it didn't change his love for you. He still loves you, still cares deeply for you. And he has a plan for you. And you may think, oh, I've wasted so much time. There is no wasted time in God's economy. That's Satan talk. I'm just being honest. That's Satan telling you that mess. Listen, God can redeem the time in your life, however much you have left. And he can use it in a powerful way, in a real way, if you're willing to accept his forgiveness. Is Jesus' sacrifice enough for you? Listen, you lose when you keep score. I asked you earlier to ask God, God, what do you, what do you want to speak to me in my life about? I wonder, what is it that he spoke? Would you just bow your head, close your eyes? I want you just to think about that. What is it that God is speaking into my life? What do I need to do? Maybe you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I just tell you that's the first thing? That's step one. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Accept that forgiveness. He's offering it to you. He's already paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. He's extending to you forgiveness. Are you willing to accept it? There's no magic formula. There's no magic words that you have to say. You don't have to come down here in front. You don't have to have a conversation with me. Listen, you know why? Because I can't save you. You don't have to come down here in front of this church because guess what? This church can't save you. It can't. The only one that can do that is Jesus. So are you willing to let him? And if you've said, yes, I've, I've put my faith and trust in Christ, then, my friend, are you willing to accept the forgiveness of your sin, past, present, future? Are you willing to stop keeping score against yourself? Again, I can't answer that for you. In just a second, we're going to sing a song. And in it, it reminds us of the importance of what God says about us. Do you know the things that God says about you are the truest things about you? Not what you think, not what other people say, and definitely not what Satan tries to bring to your mind. The truest things about you are what God says. Are you willing to trust in Jesus? Are you willing to accept his forgiveness? God, thank you. 
thank you, God, for what you have done in each of our lives, what you're doing in each of our lives, and what you're going to do. God, you're so good. We give you praise, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice for us. God, may we be willing to accept his forgiveness. Thank you for your love in Jesus' name.